Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Turn to Isaiah chapter 12. Once again, uh, just uh, one verse of Scripture this morning, Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4. It says, And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord and call on His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that His name is exalted. Lord, we thank you for the public reading of Scripture. We pray your blessings upon this time together this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. <clears throat> this verse that uh, I just read to you uh, this morning. First, let me let me let me back up and just speak a bit. Um, uh, regarding uh, some some things this morning. Uh, if you were not here for our uh, time in prayer towards the end of that, uh, a sister uh, came to me and asked, she said, I have something I feel like the Lord has put on my heart that I would like to uh, share and uh, kind of allowed me to see some of what that was. It resonated with uh, what I was sensing from the Lord as well. And uh, she shared some words, and part of the end of that uh, was regarding um, where the the Lord is leading us. And she gave the illustration of a GPS, and at times how a GPS does a rerouting. Uh, you're still going to the same destination, but maybe you got off track a little bit, and it reroutes you to get to uh, the destination that uh, you were called to go to. And in... Uh, or, or words to us, uh, she said she felt as though the Lord was calling us, you know, to be flexible with the process, to be open. And uh, you'll recall several weeks ago uh, now that I share with you, I, I thought the Lord was stirring things in a different way for us, and that uh, I encourage you to stick with us, uh, and, uh, you know, don't don't just assume that things aren't to our uh, particular, you know, maybe, maybe there's certain things, maybe I don't, I'm not familiar with that, or that's not a way in which I worship, or that's not a way in which I understand that. I'm asking you uh, to stick with us, and let's all press in to the unity of the Spirit uh, together and do it with rejoicing. What I believe is that the Lord led us through the book of Ephesians in the fall for the purpose of uniting us for this moment and helping us to realize what is important and what should ultimately be primary for us, and that is the pursuit of the Lord. Uh, we all have, you know, I, I came to church this morning and I had no expectations of a conga line. But what I realize is that may move me out of my comfort zone, okay? It would move me out of my comfort zone. <clears throat> but I have to go back to Scripture, and I have to think and wrestle with what was it like for those who were in the presence of the Lord? 
And it was a pointed reminder for me yesterday morning, yesterday afternoon, as I stood at the end of the bedside and saw a lady heave her last breaths and step into eternity, uh, someone who had a relationship with the Lord. And I thought, what was her worship like as she stepped over into the presence of the Lord? And I can't tell you that I know. I can't tell you that I know. But what I can tell you is that I am open to the work of the Lord. I'm open to his spirit moving us. I'm open to his spirit calling us. I want there to be a sense of freedom in this house. I want us to be free to worship and to exalt the Lord. I also want us to stand firm upon the authority of Scripture. These two things are our rocks, a move of the Spirit and the authority of Scripture. And I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful for your willingness for us to stay locked together in pursuit of what God has set before us. And I think as that happens, I believe as that happens, I will affirm to you as that happens, God is going to do things in which we will be amazed. We will be like Job, I think, and that we will say, I will put my hand over my mouth and I will not utter another word. And so I'm excited for what God is doing. And so let's pursue him with all that is within us. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4 is a hymn of praise unto God. A reminder to you of where we are in the book of Isaiah. Uh, you're kind of at a fulcrum point or a, or a point of uh, change where the Israelites, there's this prophecy that uh, is calling them out of bondage and as the remnant of God's people into the place to which he has called them. Uh, and it begins with give thanks to the Lord. In the day in which you get to that place that God is calling you, uh, you will in that day give thanks to the Lord, which we talked about last week. We talked about worship and what it means to worship God. Uh, as our team who will be traveling to the Philippines, when they're in worship with them, their worship may look different than how we worship this morning. Uh, their worship may be in a different way or a different manner than how we are worshiping this morning, but continuing to worship the Lord. And we could say that all over the world, that there is a uniqueness about the way that people express their love and devotion to the Lord. And the first clause in this hymn, give thanks unto the Lord, is a call, I believe, to worship, a call to thanksgiving, a call to exaltation for what God has done. The second clause, call on his name, which we'll focus on today, I believe, is a calling to prayer, a calling to prayer. And I believe these things are important for us as a congregation to think about and to wrestle with with regards to who we are. We must be a people of worship, and we must also be a people of prayer. From the beginning, God has called us to be a people of prayer. From the beginning of our existence as a church family, God has said, I want you to be invested in the work of prayer. And so we call upon the name of the Lord. To call, in this context, the word for call means just that, to call or to cry out or to proclaim. 
In Genesis 4 and 26, the Bible says that uh, at the time of Seth's birth, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Remember, there was a fight between Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel. And then Eve conceived and had another son. And she named that son Seth because she said, God has appointed me a son or given me a son for the one that I had lost. And so there was Cain who had killed Abel, who was a person or the father of people who tended to work the earth. And Seth, who then has a, who is often referred to, his lineage is often referred to as the godly lineage of Seth. Seth's people, that lineage of Seth's people, were a people of worship. At that time, in Genesis 4.26, it says that then men began to pray or cry out, or to proclaim the name of the Lord. It is Seth's lineage that we find in the Gospels that the Messiah came from. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Cry out, call to me, pray, seek me. Isaiah 65 and 24 says, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear a promise that we have with regards to our prayers before the Lord as we seek him, as we cry out to him, as we long after him, as we grope after him, the scripture says at times, longing for his presence, crying out to him, calling on his name, he shall answer and he shall hear. We have a command. This is not just simply should you desire to pray or if you want to pray or maybe you ought to pray. The command here in Isaiah chapter 12 is that you should pray. You ought to be praying. It, you, it is a command to be obedient. It is in the imperative. It is a corporate call to pray. Corporate prayer is biblical. It's not something that is just made up to get a bunch of people together in order to talk into the air. But corporate prayer is biblical. In Luke 1 and 10, we see a multitude praying while Zacharias was ministering in the temple. They were praying for God's will and God's plan and God's purposes to be done. In Matthew 26, we have Jesus asking the disciples as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, gather and pray. Pray together. We have the early church in Acts 2 and 42. They are praying. This is part of who they were. They would gather together in order to pray. Acts 4 and 24. We see corporate prayer is what precedes the great work of God. Someone once said, if our churches aren't praying, we shouldn't be boasting in our orthodoxy or our Sunday morning attendance. We can have a gathering of people. We can have a social club. But if we are not people who are interceding and praying, we probably ought not call ourselves a church. God has called us as a Riverstone church to be a praying church. And I would encourage us as people that we always take the opportunity to pray. That we always take the opportunity to pray. 
In this context of Isaiah chapter 4, the content of prayer is thankfulness for the hope that is to come and also the desire for continued deliverance, God delivering his people out of the bondage of Babylon, but thanksgiving for the hope that is to come. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, the Bible says that their cry had come to him, that as they were in Egypt, as they were under bondage, as they were in the time of great tribulation, 400 and some years, that the cry of the Israelites rose to the Lord and God desired or decided in his sovereign plan to deliver them. And there began a process of deliverance where things began stirring, things began moving. God raised up a deliverer. God began to speak through that deliverer's life. God brought that deliverer back into Egypt and he began to confront Pharaoh. There was a long season and a long time of movement while the children of Israel were still crying out to God, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. And all the while under the surface, God is moving, God is stirring, God is working. And God begins to restore hope. I'm not sure what God is doing, but God is doing something. And that's what I feel right now. I'm not completely sure of all that God is doing, but I am sure of this, that God is doing something. As we pray and as we seek him, the content of our prayer is to cry out, I believe, for the manifestation of the glory of God. I want you to follow along with me over a few points here. When the glory of God on the earth is fully known, then our deliverance has come. And I believe that yearning for deliverance is ultimately a yearning for God and a yearning for God's glory. When we pray for the sick, we are praying for the glory of God to be manifest. When we pray for provision, we are praying for the glory of God to be manifest. When we are praying for opportunity, we are praying for the glory of God to be manifest. When we're praying for peace, we are praying for the glory of God to be manifest. I'm reminded in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, with the bowls of incense that are before the Lord. I always remember that passage as we pray together. I remember that passage as we pray for people who have needs or things that are going on that our prayers aren't forgotten. It's not like as if I'm sitting here listening to your prayers. Because I was part of the prayer time this morning and there were a few individuals who came up to pray and right now I can't remember what they were. I'm of a human mind. I can't always remember what was going on. I don't remember what happened this morning sometimes. But I know there's a God who does remember. 
I know there is a God who remembers from long ago that there is a bowl before him when the prayers of my mother and my grandmother, when the prayers of those who I didn't even know before me were prayed for me and were prayed for a legacy. When you and I pray and we pray for our children and we pray for our children's children and we pray for a godly legacy ahead of us, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks, those prayers are deposited in bowls of incense that God breathes in and he says are a sweet aroma unto him. Grandma, grandpa, great-grandma, great-grandpa, years ago who were praying and seeking after God, God is still breathing in those prayers for His glory. That's why prayer is powerful. It outlasts us. It outlasts our time upon this earth. We can pray in those prayers for God's glory. We pray and we seek Him. God, manifest your glory in this city. I may pass on this afternoon, but my prayer lives on in the presence of God. God, He hears me tomorrow after I'm gone in the grave. God, let your revival come in this city. What a powerful promise that we have. For God's graciousness and God's mercy and God's wonder. Charles Spurgeon said that prayers are a work of the Spirit of God. There is no acceptable prayer in the world but that which the Spirit of God has inspired. The Holy Spirit knows what the mind of God is, and he writes it upon the minds of God's people, making intercession in the saints according to the will of God. If we grasp and understand that prayer is truly crying out for God's glory, we must first and foremost understand that prayer is a latching of our hope upon the cross of Christ. Because it is at the cross of Christ and the Lord's resurrection where he was glorified. I'm going to ask some brethren to help me with an illustration this morning. If you read through John 17, which is a high priestly prayer, you find over and over again in the beginning passages of John 17, Jesus' cry for the glory of God. Jesus' cry to be glorified. Jesus' cry for the Father to be glorified in the work that Jesus was going to do. The night before the cross. The night before Jesus knew he would hang upon the cross. And the night before Jesus knew he would hang upon the cross, his supreme prayer was at the cross... In the subsequent resurrection, that he would be glorified and the Father would be glorified. That that work would bring glory and honor unto God. The believer who understands that prayer is a pursuit of the glory of God as revealed in the cross, you will find great joy in laboring before the Lord day and night in prayer. And I want to illustrate this point because I know how I often pray. I often pray prayers as it relates to my personal life. I'm going to need that role uh, here in a minute. So if I'm praying prayers for my personal life, 
One of the prayers that I pray often about is for my children. I will pray for my children. I want my children to be faithful. I want God to intervene in my children's life in such a way that my children will live faithfully before the Lord. From when they were little, my wife and I would pray over the children as we would hold them in our arms. One of the prayers that I've often prayed for my children is that the light of the gospel would burn bright in their heart. That there would not be a day where the light of the gospel did not burn bright in their heart. That's what I pray for them. That there will not come a day in their life where they say, I don't want to follow Jesus. I've thought about that in as, as little bit as I can think about it, and it devastates my heart that any one of my kids would turn away from the Lord. And so it's an earnest, heartfelt prayer that I want them with love and joy in their heart to follow after the Lord. We could talk about prayers as well for our family, our spouses, others, all those things that we might pray for. We can talk about prayers for our jobs and provision. Some of us are praying those right now. God provide. God help me. God, I don't know how to make ends meet. God, inflation is up 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 percent. I got seven kids. It makes me take out a loan to buy eggs. And my son, my oldest son, likes to fix midnight meals. Pray for provision. God, help us to meet the need. God, there's a need. God, I need your help. God, I need you to intervene in this particular situation. My marker's running out. God, help me in the challenges I have with people. My work relationships aren't what they should be. Someone is after me. Someone's lying about me. Someone's doing things they ought not do. Someone is saying things they ought not say. Someone's taking credit for the work that I did. Someone's doing this. Someone's doing that. My work relationships. God, help me in my work relationships. Help me, Lord Jesus. Thank you, my dear wife. Hopefully that won't work. Throw that one away. Oh, thank you. I like blue. Maybe you're praying for healing. You're praying for God's supernatural healing. You see, we're a, we're a people who believe in that. We're a people who believe that God moves and God's gracious hand works in a way to bring healing. Maybe you're praying that for your own life. Maybe you're like we were over these last few weeks. I thought about this too with Sister Eunice. There was a time I was in the hospital room there. And I was by myself. It was early in the morning. No one else was there. And I grabbed her by the hand and I said, God, heal her. God, heal her. God, heal this woman. Heal this woman. Heal this woman, God. Heal her, Lord. I know she'll testify of your goodness. 
And I wasn't the only one praying that prayer. A whole lot of other people were praying that prayer. And so what happens sometimes in prayer, I believe, is that if this is our prayer, I just want you to picture kind of, this is our cry to God. This is our prayer unto the Lord. And if I place my prayer, my hope of my prayer, my answered prayer, if I, if I leave it right here, I'm going to be disappointed. Because even when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth, there were people who didn't get healed. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, did you know Lazarus died again? I don't know of anyone that Jesus healed that's still living today. There was a healing, but it was for this life. And so when Lazarus died the second time, did Mary and Martha pray and say, Jesus, heal him? like we would pray, when he got sick and he started to die the second time? What was the response of Mary and Martha if they were still living during that time? You see, if we latch our prayers to God's ability or desire or will to answer these things, and these things are important, but we'll come away disappointed. Because there's sometimes that God doesn't heal in the way we ask Him to heal. There's sometimes our family doesn't act in the way that our family should act, even in response to our prayers. There's sometimes that God works in such a way that these requests that we make of the Lord do not find their fulfillment in the way in which we should hope that they do. So then why does Jesus tell us to pray? Why does he say to bring our request to him? Why does he call us to tell him and to speak to him about the things that are on our heart? And I think what has to happen is that our prayers have to move beyond the immediate need and latch themselves to the cross. So what happens in this moment is Sister Eunice's healing is not an end game for me. My prayer and request for God to move and God to heal her is not an end game. If I don't get what I'm asking for, I walk away disappointed. In fact, what I believe happened over these last few weeks of intercession and prayer is that there was a family who was drawn close to God. There was a family who was interceding with urgency that allowed them to then supersede the immediate need and begin to look to the glory of the cross. Because you know what I heard yesterday in that hospital room? I heard prayers changing. 
I heard a shift in the room as the body was declining. There was a move from heal her, heal her, heal her, that Jesus, she's in your presence. Jesus, she's whole in your presence. Jesus, she's healed in your presence. There was a transformation from the urgency to pray to the glory of what God is doing. So, in your life, in my family, when I'm praying for my kids, I can do nothing about my children's salvation. I can teach them. I can train them. I can help them read the book. I can have them memorize the entire Bible. They can walk through. They can quote it chapter and verse and they can be just like the people Jesus met in the New Testament who were Pharisees who he said you're whited sepulchers there's got to be a supernatural work in these children's lives for them to know the reality of the cross now the urgency that I feel and knowing that they need a relationship with Jesus, and I don't want them to leave this earth without a relationship with Jesus, is actually a vehicle that moves me to the glory of God. Your job. You know, it's never enough with our jobs, is it? Who here doesn't want a bigger paycheck? If you raise your hand, we're going to pray for you. What's going on in your work? What's going on around you? What drives you to say, God, help in this situation? It is a vehicle that moves you to the glory of the cross. And why is this important? Does it mean that God doesn't answer prayer? That God doesn't answer specific prayers? No, it does not mean that at all. But pastorally, what I have seen over and over and over again is someone come to church in the moment of crisis. Someone call in the moment of crisis. Someone be present in the moment of crisis. And we pray and we intercede and we say, God, do it. God, move. God, 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 do these things. And it doesn't quite turn out the way in which they think it turns out. And then they turn their back on God because our hope rested in this. God meeting it the way I wanted it to be met. God transforming it the way I wanted it to be transformed. God changing things the way I want them to be changed. Instead of using that moment of crisis and that moment of challenge and that moment of difficulty to point ourselves then to the cross because when you're in the midst of the cross, all you want is what Jesus wants. When you've been in the presence of his glory, all you want is what he wants. Your desires become his desires. Your hopes become his hopes. And whether we're in this life or whether we're in the next life, we're going to glory in his presence. You see, that, I believe, is the content of prayer. Latching hope upon the glory of God that is found at the cross. This is why, at times, I believe we enter into seasons of great and urgent prayer. Because God wants to move us from prayers of lethargy and 
Not really, God, can you please help me in this situation, but it's not really that urgent. If you could, it would be nice. If you don't, okay. Crisis moments push us into times of prayer. Luke 11 and 5 is the friend who asks for bread at midnight and is persistent and then receives what he's requesting. Luke 18, the pair of the woman who is persistently seeking justice from the judge ultimately gets her request. Often we see in Scripture that pursuit of God or that persistence of the Lord for the Lord. That is what times of crisis bring about in our life. Moments where we persist and whether God grants what we're asking or not, what prayer must do in our life is push us to the glory of the cross. I want my request answered. I believe that God can do it. I believe that there is a supernatural work of the Lord that can move in people's lives. But I also live in the earth in which the Lord is moving and I observe how God is moving in certain ways and I read in scripture how God moves and what I firmly believe this morning is that if you are going through the trial of life and you're wondering God where are you if you're wondering God why aren't you helping in this situation why aren't you moving in this particular uh, area that I really need you to move in why God aren't you changing things God why aren't things any different when I've laid it before you over and over and over again is it something in me God God? Is this something that I'm not doing right? God, I'm examining my heart. What I want to encourage you with this morning is God is calling you to continue to press in. This circumstance, this situation is a means for you to be able to experience the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We sang about that this morning. But we all with unveiled faces looking as a mirror at the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit, meaning that there is a means in God's presence to grow in the grace of God's glory. Prayer is a means for us to do that. I think I shared this. I don't know if I shared that. I know I shared that at RDI. I don't know if I shared it in the congregation over the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> but I'm reminded of an article I read about a brother, uh, pastor, uh, former pastor, he's retired, uh, Tim Keller, who has uh, prostate cancer, is not expected uh, to live uh, much longer due to uh, the cancer. And he said, what the cancer has done is it has pushed me to a level in my prayer life that I have never been before. He said, and while I absolutely pray for healing, I'm praying for God's complete healing in my life. This Presbyterian brother also said, I would not trade this experience. And why, oh, why did I not learn this sooner? A man who has written tons on ministry and theology and other things. Why, oh, why did I not taste this level of sweetness before of being in the presence of the Lord? 
But when we pray, we often think of prayer in terms of our particular request, and we have many, and we ought to bring them to the Lord. But God is most concerned, is most desirous, His glory be manifest, that his fame be known. He is a jealous, jealous God. We call upon the Lord that his name would be known. That is our purpose. We call on that name above every other name. There is no name in heaven and on earth given among men by which we can be saved. This is why it's so important for us to have our focus towards a work that happened upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just stop there for a moment. That if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're wondering what it means to have a cross. Why is there a cross in church? What does it mean talking about blood? What does it mean about blood covering my sins? What does it mean about this idea of freedom or things that you are speaking about? What I want to tell you this morning is that there is a Savior who died upon a cross. Probably not as pretty as this one. Probably not as smooth as this one. Probably not as nice as this one, but there is a Savior who about 2,000 years ago died upon the cross. And there were people who witnessed him, who knew his works, who saw the miracles which he did. But he gave his life for you and me because there is wrath against you if you don't know the Lord. There is wrath that will be poured out against you. There is a hell. And there are those who will find themselves there because they refuse the gracious hand of God. But if you accept him today, you say, that cross took the punishment for my sins. Jesus died upon the cross. His shed blood was for me. If you believe that, if you accept that, and you confess that with your mouth, the Bible says that you shall be saved. You see, you can't earn it. You can give as much as you want this morning. You can go out and witness as much as you want. You can attend as often as you want, and it won't get you any closer to heaven than anything else. But what you can do is bow before the cross and realize that Jesus gave his life for you and that it is a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But he's given it to you this morning, and I would pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, we pray, and we seek to know your glory. God, I pray this morning by your gracious hand. Lord, in this moment, that you will help us to see that we cannot simply latch our hope upon your ability to meet our needs in the moment. Though we believe you answer requests, we believe you hear us, But there is something greater that we are after. And that is your glory, O oh God. The urgency of our needs are the vehicle to press us to pursue the glory of the Lord. 
Lord, I'm reminded of the woman with the issue of blood. As many of those that you healed, she struggled for many years. Her time was 12 years. She struggled. She spent money. She sought help. And it did nothing. In fact, Scripture says she only got worse. 12 years. And yet when she encountered you, there was a, she, she was pursuing you. There was a pursuit of you. And you speak to her, your faith has made you well. Was that an instantaneous moment of faith? Or was this a woman of faith all along? Or maybe we don't have the ability to be sure upon a reading of Scripture. I believe because of her pursuit of you, this was a woman of faith. She had some sense or idea of Messiah. And in her pursuit of you, there was an intersection of passionate prayer and the presence of the Messiah. An intersection of prayer encountering the glory of God. John says, we looked upon him, and he was the glory of God. There are times in our life, Lord, that I believe the Scripture affirms that we may pursue you with urgency for what seems like a very long time to no avail. In fact, there are seasons when the problems which we are seeking you after, health needs, job needs, provision, family, just seem to get worse. And that is not the time to back off, but that is the time to pursue the glory of God all the stronger. Jesus spoke of prayer as this, a woman giving labor. That there is an increasing of the labor pains and then the joy of birth comes and the labor pains are forgotten. God, I pray today by your gracious hand that within this congregation, 
we would walk away with a renewed vigor in prayer. Not simply to get temporal needs met. Though we leave those at your feet, Lord, we desire for them to happen. But Lord, that with abandon, we would pursue your glory. God, that as your people, we would unify around one purpose, around one thing, that we are going after the glory of the Lord. And we know, oh Lord Jesus, that as we do these things, all the other will be added to us. Help us, God, to latch our hope upon the glory of the cross. We thank you today for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your kindness and love, O oh Lord Jesus. If you need prayer this morning, you're welcome to come as we stand together. We sing a hymn as unto the Lord. prayer this morning. He said, maybe my focus has been on the things of this world and not the things of the Lord. Lord, help me to pursue the things which you have. Help me to press into your glory. Sing it together. Father, we thank you for your presence in these moments. I pray, Lord, you will do what I cannot do, and that is apply the word to the heart. I thank you, Lord, for your graciousness today, and I pray, Father, for your continued move upon this people for your glory. Let us pursue you with all that is within us, Lord Jesus setting our eyes upon you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your graciousness towards us today. In your name we pray. Amen.